It's good to come together to worship Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's just uh, open up with a word of prayer. Father, we need you so desperately today. You are our God. You are our Savior. You are our strength. Please teach us through your word today by your spirit, Lord. Jesus, teach us that you're the temple, Lord. That you're the meeting place. That you're the final sacrifice. Give us the ears to hear and to listen to what the Spirit says today, Lord. Amen. See, this is a message about judgment and the windows start shutting in this place. You know how we get down. Today, Jesus is going to get violent. Now, I only have two more times to preach here at Seven Mile Road. And so my thoughts in the intro is I was going to either set up a table or throw the pulpit. Something real rowdy about Jesus when he's coming. But I said, Matt's away. I'm coming to the end. I got to play it safe. I want you to know I wanted to do that. And it might happen at Restoration Road. But today Jesus is going to get violent. He's going to... Maybe I should have started throwing stuff because I think, you know... He's going to come into the temple. He's going to start throwing tables. He makes a weapon. Now, you've got to be wound up to make a weapon. He makes a cord of whips. He won't let people pass. He's driving people out. He's zealous for his father's house. This is one of my favorite texts. Um, I like the description in John a little better. But I love the passion that Jesus has for his father's house. I love the seriousness of it all. When I got saved, it was so refreshing for me to know that my Savior was passionate. That he stood for something. That he wasn't just this guy sitting petting a lamb on the hill. You know what I mean? He stood for something. He fought for something. He took it serious that God was that holy that we should not be playing around. I've been to many different churches. When I first got saved, I saw so much foolishness. I saw people turn the church into a place of business and gain and almost came like a, a bazaar. Or it, it, got, it, it got really strange. I saw the evangelist on TV trying to sell me Miracle Spring Water for $9.99. That would get me so riled up that sometimes I almost wanted to throw stuff through the TV. I want to say that's sinless, but who knows? But Jesus is going to get passionate today. He's going to stand and bring judgment and protect his father's house. When I was younger, I had a friend who had this house. You know that house where you can all go and hang out at? You know there's a healthy family. There's a lot of space. There's a hoop in the yard. The mom's always pouring you OJ. You know, that kind of house. It was a place where we really just thrived and looked forward to going. And me and all my buddies loved going to. So one week, his parents were going away. It was our senior year. And you know when someone's parents are going away, it's like they're going away. Everyone over my house. So a few of us went over there. He wasn't planning on this being a, a big blowout or anything. We went over there. But before you know it, everyone kept telling their brother, their sister, and their friend, 
No one's at B. Cut's house. Everyone get over there. There's a party. So little by little, my friend, he let people come in. And um, you got to understand my friend. He was like a buck 20. He was a valedictorian. How I became friends with the valedictorian, I have no idea. How I became friends with Matt Cruz, I have no idea. In seventh grade, I was a valedictorian, believe that or not. A lot of cheating going on. God forgives. But so, everyone's coming in the house. And what starts happening is, people coming into his father's house that he doesn't know. And before you know it, people start getting rowdy and stuff starts to get broken. And I see him start getting like, what's going on here? Before you know it, stuff started going missing. And they were stealing stuff out of his dad's house. By about 6 or 7 o'clock, we started around 3. This 120-pound valedictorian, he usually never gets riled up. I saw him start steaming. And it was packed. I'm not kidding. This place was packed. There had to be about 80 people there by then. He st- right in the middle of the kitchen, he looked around. He said, everybody out. And I said, oh, shoot, B-Cut's getting riled up. This is serious. And he started getting in people's faces. Everyone out of my house, he didn't care how big. He didn't care how small. He didn't care if he knew you or he didn't know you. He said, everybody out of this house is turning into a den of iniquity. You know, he's thinking, this is my dad's house. This is m- he built this. His dad was like a painter and a contractor. He built the deck. He made it beautiful. This is a place he found life, a place his mom lived, a place his brothers and sisters went in. It meant to be you know, a place of life. And he says it's turned into a den of iniquity. And he booted everyone out of that place. It got to the point where people trying to come back in. He's like, thou shalt not pass. He was fired up. Amplify that times infinity. This is what's happening with Jesus today. He's coming to the temple. He's coming to his father's house. And he sees this den of robbers. And he sees what they have made it. It's a place meant to be a light to the world. It's become a cave of robbers. And he says, everybody out. I'm bringing judgment on this place. I'm going to tear this place down and rebuild it in three days. What is he talking about? I will become the temple. I want you guys to hear the gospel today. Jesus brought judgment upon the system of the temple and he now has become the meeting place of God he has become the final sacrifice he has become the mediator he has become the temple amen let's read so read Mark 11 we'll start with verses 12 through 14 on the following day when they came from Bethany he was hungry And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat this fruit, ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So Jesus is hungry. He looks far off, he sees this fig tree. Fixed trees can be, uh, they can be deceiving because during that time of the year, they can have small green fruit on it, and it can look like it has, you know, blossomed and bore fruit. As he gets closer, he sees there's no fruit on this tree. Now, he curses this tree. I want us to understand that Jesus doesn't just start cursing stuff when he's hungry like us. I'm hungry, this tree ain't bearing fruit. Boom. You know, 
gets all riled up, like that Snickers commercial. Has anyone seen that Snickers commercial with Joe Pesci? He's all riled up. He eats a Snickers, and then he's back to a real guy. Jesus is not frustrated right now in just cursing trees because he's the son of God and because he can do it. He has a purpose behind this. It's prophetic symbolism. We see it all through the Old Testament. We see when he tells his prophet Isaiah, he says, Isaiah, I want you to walk barefoot for days and days and days as a sign to the Egyptians that they're going to be taken captive by the Assyrians and go into slavery. Some say, why is Isaiah walking around barefoot for days? That makes no sense. He was given a sign of things to come, judgment that will come. The same with Jeremiah. He said to Jeremiah, I want you to get a loincloth. I want you to tie that thing around your waist. Okay? Then I want you to go hide it. After you hide it, I want you to go back again and find it. And when he gets that loincloth back, it's spoiled. So he said, what's going on? How a loincloth spoils, I have no idea. But the Bible says it, so I believe it. Then he says, put that loincloth around your waist and prophesy. And he says, just like Israel was close to my waist, they have become nothing. They have turned to other gods. They were meant to be my people for my praise, for my glory, to show my grace. Now judgment will come upon them. So this is prophetic symbolism. He's getting ready to say the fig tree, which stood for Israel many times in the Old Testament. You see that too. The status of the the fig tree would show the status of Israel, whether it was judgment or prosperity. And he looks at this tree and he says, now now is the time of judgment. And he curses this tree to bear fruit no more. Now, when I first got this text, I thought I was going to come in here and start yelling about helicopters dropping eggs. And, you know, people giving away 125-inch flat screens to their first service, stuff like that. I didn't realize this was about God's judgment and, and what was going on in so many more ways than that. I almost wanted to drop the fig tree part out of it. That's how I roll. I said, these dudes want me to preach the ABA structure. They love this stuff. I'm going to drop the whole fig tree thing out and just preach about Jesus throwing stuff. But that, then I realized Mark sandwiched the text of Jesus' judgment upon the temple in this fig tree story on purpose, inspired by God. So we could learn something. And this fig tree story is driving the theme of what Jesus is about to do. He's setting the stage for this. He's about to bring judgment on his house. The temple was meant to bear much fruit. It was meant to be the light of the world. It was meant to be a meeting place of God. It had become a den of robbers. And so now, let's read on. We're going to read verse 15 and 16. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. This is the only act of Jesus that you could categorize as violence. So I want you guys to really think about being one of the disciples that day. You're walking in with Jesus. Now, he's not saying anything before. He's just cursed the fig tree. You're just rolling with it. You know how the Messiah rolls. He gets into this court of the Gentiles, one of the courts outside the temple, and he just starts tossing stuff. You know, I don't want to think like a savior that goes like, okay. You know, like he tosses this down. Okay, and he's looking at people setting it down. I won't throw the chair. 
he gets in there and starts tossing stuff, starts throwing stuff, starts chasing people down with a weapon. That's your savior. Oh, that's not the fruit of the spirit. Yes, it is. Righteous indignation. He never sinned. He was perfectly passionate. His father is holy. And don't make it a den of robbers. He gets to the side. And he starts making a weapon. We don't see this in this text. You see it in John. So I'm dragging stuff from John because this is just such a great text. He makes a weapon. He's driving people out. Now you've got to really do something serious to get the perfect son of God riled up. And it had been done. Now, when you're not letting people pass, that's serious. Imagine Jesus standing there with a weapon. No, one, no one's coming through this temple. This is not going to happen anymore. I talked to one of my friends this week, and uh, we talked about a certain story. And if a guy came to him and said, I'm going to confront your mother on something. And my friend looked at him and said, no, you're not. <laughs> I will not physically allow you to get by me and confront my mother. Because of his passion for his mother, because how, how much she meant to him, because of the relationship. He said, you're not getting by. This is what's going on with Jesus at this moment. He's cleansing, cleansing the temple. He's bringing judgment. And he's going to restore it by becoming the temple. Now, we want to know why this is happening. If I see Jesus my Savior, my Messiah, my teacher. If I see him walking to a place, not saying anything, and just start throwing stuff, I want to know what got him so riled up. Because I've never seen him act like this before. And this is the part I want us to listen to here. Because this is very serious, and this will bring you life. In verse 17, and he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written... My house shall be called the house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The temple was built. It was symbolic to show that God's presence dwelled with his people, with Israel. It was meant to be a light of hope to the world. It was meant to be an inclusive system. Where not only would the Messiah come from the Jewish people, but there was a meeting place. A place you could meet with God. Even today, the place that Jesus is tossing stuff around in is called the court of the Gentiles. It's the only place where the non-Jew can come and pray to God. It was meant to be a place of inclusion and a place of mediation. And they had made it a den of robbers. Something that was meant to be a light to all the nations had become a cave. Now, I never really thought, and Matt helped me out with this when we were talking. I just thought of the robbers part, and we'll get to that. I never thought of the den part. What are dens like? They're very secretive. They're very dark. You've got to show up with a hood or a password and slip something in just to get in. Some dudes are meeting over something, and it's not really welcoming it's dark it's exclusive you know what i mean that kind of thing you know a place that is inclusive and that is a light people say i feel welcome there i want to go there this place had become a cave it had become a den 
And like I said, I want to get at the commercialism that was going on here, and I will. And that's definitely part of it. People are selling stuff, and people are making about unjust gain. But the truth is, that's not all wrong in itself, because they had to sell pigeons. Do you know what the pigeon was in the sacrificial system? It was the poor man's offering. I would buy a pigeon. Because that's all the money you had. So there had to be a way to buy the pigeon. There had to be money changing tables. Because you had to change the coins so they could be taken by the Roman Empire. So those things were essential. So that's not really the heart of what Jesus was getting at. Even though we never want to commercialize or package the gospel in a business-like way. What he is getting at, robbers can mean a brigand or a brigand. You can say it either way. You say tomato, I say tomato. You know how that goes. And that further means a revolutionary, some who stood for a political cause. They had a hidden political agenda. These leaders of the time were what you call nationalists. They wanted to lead the people of Israel to rebel against Rome and to overtake Rome. When they met, it was like in a cave. You know, it was secret. Come, we're going to overthrow Rome. Instead of working for the peace of the city, they were doing everything in secret. The temple had just become about them they were violent they were working for their own gain there was so much sinful stuff going on that instead of saying here we're a light to the nations there's no this is about just us we're gonna push our cause forward we're gonna make it happen and that riled jesus up tremendously and how do the religious leaders respond let's the same way they really respond in every chapter we read <laughs> And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Now, Jesus didn't do this like at a corner, corner store. He did this at the temple. The temple was a central place. This is like getting down at the White House like this. People are saying, what's going on? right now he's making a scene he's teaching new teachings and what does it say they feared because what was happening people start listening to jesus and they weren't listening to the pharisees anymore he was starting to bring people after themselves and they no longer had their power that's why a lot of people don't want to preach the bible anymore you know what happens when you preach the bible you start to lose control and jesus starts to liberate people Jesus didn't come to control us. He came to set us free. And once people start to see the light, the people who are doing it for their own gain, for their own status, for their own selfish, sinful reasons, start to say, we've got to get this guy out of here. He's coming into our temple when it was really his temple. He's coming to our temple and throwing stuff and telling us that we're filthy and telling us that we're robbers. And they start to fear. And what do they do? We've got to destroy him. Because he's the light, and we're dark, and he's exposing our darkness. They want to kill him, and they will, not because they had the power to do it, because it was always God's plan. So they come back to the fig tree. And they said, and they passed by in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree that you have cursed has withered. We're going to stop there in the text. Um, we see the prophetic symbolism realized there. He set the stage. He cursed it. 
He brought judgment just like he brought judgment on the temple system. He brought judgment on the tree. God had come to clean out his house, and now he was the temple. And someone say, man, this is horrible news, right? Jesus is throwing up stuff. Let's get him peaceful again. Let's get him in a field, in a mountain, just, you know, picking flowers or something. This was for our joy because this leads to the gospel of Jesus Christ. No more do we have to go to a corrupted temple system that is led by thieves and led by robbers and led by political agendas. We come to Jesus, who is the ultimate king, the ultimate savior, who has become our righteousness, who is the final sacrifice, who is welcoming to all and calling all sinners to come. His desire is that all men would be saved, that all sinners would repent and put their faith in him as the temple and be reconciled to God. He is the meeting place. He is the temple. Is that awesome? That's joy. That's truth. That's life. We are free and liberated because of it. Now, getting further towards political agendas. Now, you can all have your leanings. I'm not saying people shouldn't have their political leanings. That's natural, that's good, and that's healthy. But when I have to show my voter registration to get into the house of the Lord, something ain't right. When I get a red, blue, or green to show what political party I stand for, that's sinful. There's only one criteria to become a son, a daughter of God, and that's put your faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to put your faith in Jesus Christ and be a Republican. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and be a Democrat. Put your faith in Christ and be an independent. Put your faith in Christ and be a revolutionary. Don't add to salvation. It's put your faith in Jesus, and Jesus was riled up about that. Don't make my house, the house of God, a place of political agenda where people are excluded because they stand for a certain political party. That's your savior. I just got to mediate it. Do you hear me? Now, I'm not saying don't have healthy leanings and don't have where you stand and don't prayerfully consider all those things that are just before God, but I'm saying don't add that to the gospel. Furthermore, don't make the gospel something that can be bought. I don't think, as I told you in the beginning, there's few people that get more riled about riled up about people packaging the gospel than me. I, I've got to be honest with you. There's been a fire in my bones since Jesus saved me. I cannot take when people commercialize the gospel. Something that is meant to be free and liberating is the power of God unto salvation. They're trying to package for their own gain. Every time I see someone has just a will win, a free TV if they come here about Jesus, when they're charging to get in to hear the gospel, that stuff drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. This message is free. The gospel is free. And that's the way Jesus meant it to be. When I hear that prosperity gospel, whoo, I can't even deal with it. How did we make the message of a homeless, poor savior the message of rich men? How did that happen? Now, there's nothing wrong with being rich. Make your money. But how did it become if you serve Jesus, you get a bigger house? If you serve Jesus, you get a better vacation home or a better car or you'll never be, you know, tight. That's not what I heard. 
I heard that if you give up a home in this life, you will gain a reward in heaven. That it's harder for a rich man to get in the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to get through the eye of the needle. That this gospel is free, built on the back of poor men who had nothing and gave everything up for Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. You can't package that. It's not a, you're not going to get rich if you follow Jesus. You're going to get saved. You're going to find life. You're going to find it more abundantly. You're going to know God. He's the treasure. No coins, nothing of that. Amen? Please hear that from me. That will give you life. That will give you hope. That will give you freedom. Wound up. And finally, this house is meant to be a welcoming house. Calling to all nations, every tribe, every tongue, every political system. Come and be made whole by Jesus. That's what every church needs to be. Crying out, come as you are. Because he has finished that work. He has laid down his life. He has forgiven your sins. Just believe. We are meant to be a light to this world. That's what the house of the Lord is meant to be. That is what the church is meant to be. That is what we are. And by his grace, that is what we will do. Let's worship a Jesus today, a God today, a Savior today, who loves us enough to cleanse the temple and become the temple so that we might come and meet God and be reconciled to God and become children of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that you let us, your children, your creation, be part of your redemptive work. Lord, if it was about works, none of us could know you. None of us could be worthy. None of us could be holy enough. But your son was holy enough. Your son was perfect enough. Your son gave his life so that we could become yours. Help us to live with that passion. Help us to live with that life. Help us to live with that freedom that we might be the light to the world as a church. And we might come to the light of the world, Jesus, for all things. Thank you for making him our meeting place. Amen.